So if you have your Bibles, could you them and turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11, and Harrison Doughton's going to come and read that passage for us. Verses 1 to 7 is what we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Harrison, thank you so much for reading today. I would imagine for individuals in this room, we learn in different ways. There are so many different learning styles and teachers know this and and helpfully communicate information. We process information differently, things stick through different means, through different avenues. And so we, we learn, we, what, what works for one person learning doesn't work so well for the other person. So for instance, some people learn really well, give them a definition or a description, and then they can nuance that and understand each piece of that, and they can dive deeper into each word, and that helps them learn. But for others, that might feel cold, just the definition is cold. So maybe what would help them learn the best is to be a part of a group. So sometimes people learn because they belong to a group, they belong to a team. They put themselves in a place where they can do something together, something bigger than one individual can do. And they learn by that. They learn by being a part of a team that pushes them further. But I also know there are people that hate group projects. And that might be you. You hate doing that, just let me work by myself. Or it may be another way you learn is by an example. So if someone says, this is how you do this. If someone takes the time to kind of walk through, this is what it looks like. Look how they did it. Now you can do it too. Maybe that helps you learn. We have been taking a a little detour from Hebrews, but we're back here today actually with a pretty important topic. And that is trying to figure out Trying to understand what faith is, trying to internalize what faith means, what, how, that, how that speaks to us. And the writer uses some different ways of learning to kind of incorporate that. He's going to start by giving a description. He's going to start by saying, here's what faith is. And then there are going to be examples. So even Harrison read those a moment ago, and today we're looking at Abel and Enoch and Noah, but there's lots of other examples that could be used. And then he 
puts us in the company of a group. It's, it's almost by all these names. And you'll see Hebrews 11, which is actually, I think, maybe one of the most familiar chapters in Hebrews, probably the most familiar chapter in Hebrews. It'll walk through person after person who had faith. And kind of the idea is we share this in common with them. We're part of a group. We're together in this. And through this, we're going to be able to, like a tough subject to get our head around, what exactly is faith? We're going to see it in action today. So you start off with those first verses, right? Verse one, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Here's what faith looks like. So that's what we're seeing. It's the assurance. What is, it's the assurance. It's the conviction, the assurance, things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And frankly, uh, there are a lot of different English translations. And so that word assurance and that word conviction, sometimes if you have a translation, is going to say, kind of have a different nuance. It's related, but a little bit different. So some translators, instead of assurance, are going to write reality or substance. Faith is the substance of, of this thing we hope for. And I think that's a good translation. In many ways, I think both, both are acceptable. I think reality or substance might be a better translation there than the English Standard Version, which we generally use to teach here. And then that word, the things like the conviction of things not seen, other translations are going to say, it's the evidence or the proof. And you can see where those things relate. They're a little bit different, but you can see how they relate. So again, there are different English translations, but what if, what if we thought about it this way? What if we said faith is, because I think this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, faith is the reality. It's like bringing to a real world things we haven't seen yet, things we hope for. Faith is like evidence, like look at this piece of evidence, look at this proof that demonstrates there's something we haven't seen yet, something in the future, maybe something spiritual that we believe in, but here gives proof, here gives evidence we believe in it. There's something very real we can see that points us to something we haven't seen or can't see yet. What the writer of Hebrews says is, for by this, by faith, by this reality, by this evidence, by this proof, people of old, people in ancient days, gained their, received their commendation. What does that mean, receive their commendation? It means they gained approval with God. It's saying God was pleased with faith. God's always determined that our relationship with him is going to be by faith until our faith becomes sight. It's always going to be about faith. We're always going, whether it's a strong faith at times or a weak faith, whether it's a steady faith, whether it's a wobbly faith, whether it's a growing faith or whether it's a desperate faith. It's always going to be faith. And by faith, the people of old received their approval with God. The people of old, and I think that's preparing us for, here's a lot of examples, maybe ancient examples of that faith in action where it actually hit the real world and proved that this individual, this individual, these men and women believed in something they could not see. One more word of clarity here in verse three. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen, what we see, was not made out of things that are visible. So we think, this is what it's saying, we see things, we see creation, and we connect dots. And God's word is telling us that God made all of this out of things we don't see, things we can't see. We have faith, and, and here's where my discussions with some 
friends who are scientists, is so helpful to me here when it talks about the whole world, the whole universe being created. And you talk to people who've studied years who have degrees and graduate degrees and postgraduate degrees, terminal in the fields of science. They would tell you. Like there are so many intricacies in the universe. There are so many things that are down to the details. Maybe in the smallness or maybe in the magnitude of things, there is a design that we see some things that tell us, yes, yeah, stuff that just doesn't happen without a designer, without a creator. With just a word. I mean, we stand amazed that God makes it all with just a word. But the God who has existed forever, before anything else existed, he speaks and other things come into being. That's what this is telling us. And we go out even on this beautiful day where we could enjoy creation. We enjoy the sunrise, enjoy the sunset, enjoy the beauty of today, enjoy the warmth of the sun. We're reminded. We see things that remind us, oh, there are things we, we haven't yet seen, some invisible realities. As we read these words, the, the writer's laying down a foundation, preparing us to understand. And then... And then Hebrews 11 goes through a list of names, a list of characters from the Bible, a list of examples, helping us go, you need to see it in action. Let me give you some men and women that demonstrated this in action. So it starts off, I mean, there's nothing quite like this in the Bible. It starts off in verse four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain taking us back to like all the way back to Genesis, Genesis 4, through which Abel was commended as righteous, God commending Abel by accepting his gifts. And through Abel's faith, though he died, he still speaks. Faith is about evidence and proof. So what substance, what showed that Abel really did believe? What tangibly showed that he trusted in God? And there were realities that were unseen, but he believed in. While Abel may not have seen God, he demonstrated his faith by his reliance on a sacrificial substitute. By depending, he demonstrated his faith by a sacrifice. That's what, that's what actually Genesis 4 tells us. That's what Hebrews 11, he offers a sacrifice. Hebrews 11 says he offers a sacrifice from the firstborn of his flock. Whereas Cain offered some of the produce, Abel offers a sacrifice from the firstborn, a blood sacrifice from the firstborn of his flock. And that teaches us something, that there is something very pleasing to God with humans, with people like you and me, with us relying on a sacrificial substitute. Abel doesn't know everything. I mean, he's, he's one of the first humans ever to be. And yet he, he knows something. He knows there is a debt he owes to God. He understands there's a sense of need for payment. And so he offers a sacrifice. Does Abel have a sense of weakness? Does he know that he is a sinner? Is he depending on God? Well, he acts in faith. How do we know he had faith? Because he sacrificed. We see evidence. And God approves that. God says to Abel, you are acceptable to me. You receive approval. I accept your gift because of your sacrificial substitute in faith. It highlights something that actually runs through all of Hebrews, which we've been talking about, but it runs through all, all throughout the Bible. 
that there always needed to be for humans that are in sin, there always had to be a sacrificial substitute. And Hebrews points us, as even Nathan reminds us, it points us to the fact that Jesus is that substitute. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. I think that recognition of God demands a sacrificial substitute is so much different than us thinking we can relate to God based on like how we might at a restaurant. If a waiter or waitress gives us decent service, we might tip them, thank you. Maybe tip them well if they did like a really, really good job. And could it be that actually our relationship with God rather than kind of really relying on the sacrificial substitute is, I mean, I'm not sure anybody would say it this way, but maybe we think more of it as, you know what, Curtis, I recognize God has provided me some things. So I'm going to give him a tip. I'm going to give him some of my time, some of my energy, some of my money, which definitely could allow you to feel good about yourself. But is that really what pleases God? Is it okay to just be satisfied with, yeah, I kind of want God in my life at times, but... Does he always have to be at the center? Does he always have to call the shots? Does he always set the agenda? Does he always define the boundaries? And Abel gives us a glimpse into, you know what faith looks like? God is very pleased when humans go, I'm not just going to have a tip God mentality, but I'm going to rely on a substitute, a sacrificial substitute. The words of Abel, I mean, it's like even Abel's death doesn't like shut him down. He's still speaking. Like we're still talking about him today. His faith is still teaching us things. The next character in verse five says, by faith Enoch is taken up so that he should not even see death. He was not found because God had taken him. And before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we have this name. It's a very mysterious character in the Bible. There's actually not much said about him. But what is said about him in Genesis chapter 5 is that he walked with God. He walked with God two times in Genesis. Enoch walked with God, which was so different than every, everybody else at the time. It seems like everybody else in that time. I mean, Genesis 6 will describe it as the time where every imagination, every thought, every intent of everybody's heart was wicked, except here's a man who lived in a time that was just morally bankrupt. But he walked with God. You come to Hebrews and you realize what it says, again, mysteriously, he didn't see death. He walked with God and he wasn't found. How did Enoch give demonstration again? What was the reality, the substance, the evidence that showed us he believed in something he couldn't see. It was, it was in this. Enoch demonstrated his faith in walking with God. And walking with God. So many times it talks about in scripture. You read a little bit and you realize it talks about pursuing and seeking and drawing near and approaching God. And there's something about that honors God. Whether you're nine or whether you're 90. Walking with God, pursuing him. I mean, you could live your life pursuing him. I mean, there's like a term called a functional atheist. So an atheist, no God for me, functional atheist says. 
at least just kind of maybe never says no God for me, but lives as if God has, plays no meaningful role in their life functionally. But Enoch walks in a relationship with him, depending on God. This is what this looks like, a relationship with God where you're depending on him for very life, every move, every breath, every thought, depending on his words, guiding and directing your path, depending on his presence, being with you in deep darkness and in complicated circumstances, depending on his protection, securing your presence, securing your future, surrendering to him, saying, Lord, whatever you want. It's very pleasing. It's very pleasing to God when we depend on him, when we know he wants us close and we approach him, when we say, God, we accept your terms, your conditions. We give you complete access to our lives. Enoch demonstrated his faith in walking with God. And then there's Noah. And maybe we're more familiar with some of his story. It's unpacked in Genesis 6 to 9. But it says in verse 7, By faith Noah was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And in reverent fear he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm guessing most, many in the room know a lot of the story of Noah. Noah receives the clear warning from God, according to this passage, according to Genesis, and begins constructing an ark, a boat, because that is the means by God says, I'll save you. An event that had never been seen before, life-threatening, destructive, cataclysmic flood that would come as a result of God's judgment, God's righteous judgment on those that would rebel against him, those that would have no time for him, something never seen before. And what does Noah do? Well, actually, I would think there's just a series of actions that he does that shows his life is going to be focused. Decades of his life are going to be focused on constructing this ark by which his family is going to be saved. His family is going to be rescued. Noah demonstrates his faith in constructing an ark for salvation from judgment. There's something that pleases God when we know we can't save ourselves. And God says, here's the path. Here's the path to rely on me for your salvation, for your safety. He becomes an heir of righteousness as he constructs an ark in faith. He orders the details of his life, not resting in himself, but resting on what God had said. We all live in a mess of a world. Sometimes we realize it, sometimes we don't, but we always live in it. And maybe in that mess of a world, you decide like, I think I'm going to try to make the best I can out of this world and I'm going to save, kind of rescue whatever life I can. And Noah has a very different kind of path. He listens to God and the directions like, here's how you are saved. Which again, this is different for us living this side of the cross. We put our hope for salvation in the cross. We rest in a Savior who we have not yet seen. And we do believe one day judgment's coming. And we believe because we are resting in that Savior, we're going to be spared that judgment. And there are going to be new heavens and new earth, not a world that's broken and filled with pain and filled with mess, but a world... I mean, we sang it a moment. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Oh, yes, we wish that. 
And our hope is in the Savior who will bring it all. With Abel, with Abel, I mean, you hear, we see faith that looks, it looks like this. It looks like coming to God with your hope in a sacrificial substitute rather than just giving a tip to God. With Enoch, we see this is what faith looks like. Faith looks like an ongoing walk with God instead of a life that just kind of looks like an atheist. With Noah, we see that faith looks like using your life. The decades God gives you, in some ways, as a construction project to find safety in God rather than thinking you can save yourself. There's so many examples. We're going to get to Abraham next week and some more in uh, the week following. I do want us to think about Abel and Enoch and Noah, but you know what I'd like for you to think about today? Is the week before you and how many opportunities you will have to give reality and proof that you have faith. We haven't seen the Lord yet. There are things that we have not yet seen. The things we believe in that we have not yet seen. And I wonder if the patient parenting you will do this week will give a sign, it will give proof that the reason I'm a patient parent is because I have hope in things I can't see. And the reason why I will love my neighbor and I'll love the immigrant and I'll even love my enemy, as scripture says, the reason I do that is because I have my hope in things that have not yet been seen. The reason why I will take a costly, courageous stand, I'll take it with grace, but I'll take a stand, is because I believe in some things that this world has not yet seen, but you know what you can see? The demonstration of your faith. I wonder if you're in the later years of your life, and it's, tempted, it's tempting to just kind of coast into meeting Jesus, but some of you will make a decision this week, I'm not going to do that. Because I believe he gave me this life for a reason. And one day I'm going to see him face to face. There's going to be times where you could use your speech to destroy somebody. And instead, an act of faith will be, because I believe there's a God I'm accountable to, I'm going to use my speech to build others up. There's sacrifices you'll make. You'll be called on to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, whom you've never seen. All this takes God's work of grace in our lives. It's not just about Abel and Enoch and Noah. It's about you. It's about me this week. Can we ask the Lord to give us help to do that and to walk by faith? Let me pray for us. Father, we do need your help each step of the way. We need your guidance by our own strength will fail by your strength which comes to us through faith. Uh, You supply us with the grace we need. So Lord, be our help in our time of need. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.